Let's pray together. O oh God, our gracious Heavenly Father, we come into thy glorious and holy presence. We worship thee, O oh Lord. We humble ourselves before thee, for thou art the everlasting God. Thou art the God of all power. Thou art the creator of all things. O oh Lord, thou art a personal God, our Heavenly Father. And we come to thee and address thee, O oh Father, but we realize Thou art Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one glorious Godhead. And we thank Thee we may approach Thee and humble ourselves before Thee in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, who suffered and died on Calvary to purchase His own. We thank Thee for His great love, His everlasting love that looked upon us even before the foundation of the world, and determined to come and save us from the consequences of sin and from destruction. O oh Lord, we thank Thee we may come to Thee as the God of love, whose heart is open to His people. And we come before Thee now asking that Thou wilt bless us this day, pardon and forgive us afresh all our sin, wash us clean, Help us to feel and to know that we are thine. O oh Lord, we pray that thou wilt forgive us all our foolishnesses, all our sins. Lift us up, strengthen us, enlighten us from thy holy word and send us this day on our way rejoicing. Show us great and wonderful things from thy word. Lord, look upon us. Receive our adoration and our worship. Kindle in our hearts and minds such a realization of thy majesty and of thy loving kindness that we may worship thee as we ought. Help us now, draw us out to thyself in love and bless each one we ask these things. In the name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ the Lord, for his sake. Amen. Let's sing the hymn 184. Hymn 184. All praise to God who reigns above.
first scripture reading is Psalm 17. Psalm 17. A prayer of David. Hear the right, O Lord. Attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me, and hear my speech. Show thy marvellous loving kindness, O from O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings from the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about. They are enclosed in their own fats. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth like as a lion that is greedy of his prey and as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world, which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children, and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's join in singing the hymn number 17, version 1, based on that psalm. Hymn number 17, version 1. Hear, O my Lord, regard my cry.
second scripture reading is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 13. The letter to the Romans, chapter 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation, condemnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the power of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay you tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. May God add his blessing to that further reading of his word and grant us all understanding.
we give a sincere welcome to all who are visitors with us for this morning service and to all who join us on live webcast. We pray that you will know the blessing of the Lord as we worship him together and hear his word. Preacher today is our pastor, Dr. Peter Masters. Our Sunday school meets at three o'clock this afternoon and our evangelistic service is at half past six this evening when the pastor will proclaim the gospel of God's redeeming grace. The message will be taken from Galatians 6, 14, entitled, What Makes Christ Supreme? We meet for the Lord's Supper following this evening service. Our meetings this week are as follows. Our prayer meeting is on Monday evening at half past seven and this meeting will be in person. Our Bible study is on Wednesday evening at half past seven. This meeting will be in person, also on live stream. The preacher on Wednesday will be our pastor, whose subject will be lessons for the church from Revelation 21, entitled Vision of the New Jerusalem. We invite and encourage all friends to join with us this Wednesday as we study God's holy word. Our services next Sunday will be at 11 in the morning and half past six in the evening when the preacher, God willing, will be our pastor. At the close of this morning worship, Dr. Masters and pastoral staff will be available in their vestries for any who may wish to speak with them. As the stewards now take up our offering for the Lord's work, there is also a card giving point in the entrance vestibule. Let's pray together. O oh God, our gracious Heavenly Father, we bring before thee these our offerings, and we pray that thou wilt receive them and use them for the work of thine own kingdom and for thine own eternal honor and glory. 
O Lord, how we thank thee, we may call upon thy holy name. We praise and adore thee. We thank thee, O Lord, that as a family of thy people, we may pray. And we come this day, this Lord's day, to worship and to marvel at thy great loving kindness toward us. O Lord, thou hast plucked us out of ignorance and spiritual death. Thou hast brought us from our waywardness and rebellion against thee. Thou hast brought us out of our idolatry, our infatuation with merely material things. Thou hast delivered us from the condemnation that was rightly ours and upon us for despising thee, for paying thee no homage, for bringing thee no thanks, for failure to appreciate thee and to study thee and to obey thee and honour thee and serve thee. O oh Lord, we have been brought from such low condition and thou hast saved us by grace. And we ever praise thee and thank thee for the plan of redemption that Christ, the second person of the triune Godhead, eternally God with the Father and with the Holy Spirit should enter into time and to human flesh for such people as we are in order to be our representative and our saviour, in order to bear away our sin. Oh Lord, we may not know, we cannot tell what pain he had to bear but we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. O oh Lord, we thank thee for the cross of Christ. We praise and thank thee for that day in our lives when it became to us the greatest event in the history of the world, when we saw its depths, its suffering, its everlasting love, and we tasted of its mighty power. We praise and thank thee for our dear Saviour. O oh Lord, if only we could feel his love as we ought to do. If only we could live day by day in the full appreciation of his compassion and his mercy toward us, his loving kindness, his plans and his purposes for us. O oh Lord, teach us ever to trust him more and more. Teach us ever to thank him and to serve him. Lord, come, we pray, and touch our hearts, every one of us, and bring us more deeply into an experience of the love of Christ. We pray, O oh Lord, that thou wilt help us in the days ahead, that we may live for thee and even represent thee. O oh Lord, help us so to live that people around us may be aware that we are thy people and that we have hold on thee and on divine resources and we know thee and love thee and walk with thee and grant us a testimony toward lost souls. We think of the people who prayed for us when we were lost 
in spiritual ignorance and night. We think of the people who spoke to us, who urged us. Oh Lord, we pray that we may be a blessing to others also, that we may be used, that our lives may count. Bless every gathering that is convened from this place to make known the gospel of Christ to needy souls. We pray that thou wilt come by the power of the Holy Spirit this evening when we gather for our evening evangelistic service. Grant that many may be here who stand in need of thy truth and of thy compassion and mercy and power. Lord, come down and do what we cannot do. Move the heart and regenerate the soul and draw to thyself. And we pray that thou wilt bless the young who are gathered in this place, those under instruction even now, and the hundreds who come this afternoon to Bible classes and Sunday school classes and branch Sunday schools, mightily bless them, pour out from on high thy redeeming love, save young souls, bless the teachers, those who serve thee as evangelist and pastor to young hearts. Lord, bless them, grant them winning words and an unction of the Spirit, Remind them of their privileges in making known Christ to a new generation. Oh Lord, come, we pray, and do a wonderful work in our midst. And we pray that thou wilt look upon those of our company who have great needs, those who are sick. Oh Lord, we pray that thou wilt restore them and lift them up and bless them mightily and encourage their hearts even in the midst of arduous therapies. Lord, we pray that thou wilt bless the downcast and speak to their hearts. Oh Lord, look upon thy dear people everywhere in this city, throughout this land, wherever the gospel is loved and proclaimed this day, come down in power and save souls. We pray that Christ may be magnified and glorified. Oh Lord, help thy dear people everywhere. And we pray with special concern and tenderness for those of thy people where there is war and bloodshed and confusion and loss and heartache and natural catastrophe. Oh Lord, grant relief and bless thine own and so help them that even in the midst of distressing circumstances, they may be enabled to draw others to the only Saviour. Lord, bless, we beseech thee, and help, and particularly bless the persecuted and the imprisoned for Christ's sake, and draw near to them, and encourage their hearts, and be their defender and their guardian this day. Lord, we pray that the day may come soon when Christ shall return in power and glory and this vain world and all its sufferings and sorrows shall be brought to a close and all the elect 
shall be gathered in and glory brought to the name of our dear Saviour. But, O Lord, if it please thee, before that final day, grant a last awakening, a last revival, when many shall be brought in to the kingdom of Christ. O Lord, bless, we beseech thee, we pray with so many of thy people in longing that thou wilt visit in a remarkable way and make bare thine arm and bless the multitudes. O Lord, help us now as we study thy word, challenge our hearts, encourage us and lift us up. We praise and thank thee for the inspired, infallible word of the living God. We praise and thank thee for its depths of meaning and application. Lord, speak to us, take our minds and our hearts in this privileged hour and help us speak through the foolishness and the inadequacy of human preaching. O oh Lord, make thy will known to us and draw us close to thyself and so minister to us that our love for thee may be increased and our thanksgiving and our gratitude for all thy powerful kindness, we ask these things. In the name of our Saviour, for his sake. Amen. Let's sing the hymn 249. Hymn number 249. Joseph Hart's great reflection on Gethsemane. Many woes had he endured.
I'm turning today to the first letter of Peter, chapter 2 and verse 13. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. And our subject is an immensely practical one this morning. It is obeying civil rulers. And I'd like to begin really looking at verse 12 by way of introduction to this vital 13th verse. Verse 12, having your conversation, your behavior, your toing and froing, honest among the Gentiles, that is to say, good or worthy among the Gentiles. And the Greek indicates races, implying the pagan races. And our translators have given us the word Gentiles for that. Having your behavior, your toing and froing, good worthy among unbelievers, we might say, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So we learn from this, from the infallible word of God, that our behavior in society at large and our courtesy and our self-control is a powerful witness. And obviously, the contrary is true, that our failure in self-control and in speech and in courtesy is against the testimony and discredits our claims as children of God having your conversation good and worthy, translated here, honest. The translators had in mind transparent or genuine, but the term is good, worthy, among unbelievers. Such a vital matter. Who has not offended in this regard? And at some time or times, offended greatly within the family circle where your soul is most relaxed and self-control is least active, tragically. In the business circle, the student circle, who has not discredited the gospel and let down their testimony and the Lord if not in a serious way, in a way, nevertheless, which is injurious. Having your behavior good and worthy among unbelievers, because it counts that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, there are always those finding fault with Christians not only the militant atheists of the media, 
But the people who say nothing, but they observe, and their unbelief they justify to themselves because of some failure on our part. Something that in their minds, with the aid of the tempter, the enemy of souls, can be greatly exaggerated so that they can assess us as hypocrites, as no good, and the power and the blessing we lay claim to, in their view, is ineffective because of some words wrongly spoken, because of irritation and temper and lack of self-control in the family. Who knows what self-justification is heaped up in the minds even of young children? because of the inconsistency of us as parents. Who knows what barriers are built in the office because of inconsistency of behavior, and yet the powerful effect of good behavior, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by their good works which they shall behold they see your acts of kindness. They see your self-control. They see your patience and your courtesy and your efforts and your sensitivity. Glorify God in the day of visitation. What do you think that means, the day of visitation? Well, the word visitation is used in two senses in the New Testament. It can speak of judgment, but it's hardly likely it speaks of judgment here. Why should people glorify God in the day of their terror and their judgment and their condemnation on account of your good works? They will be all consumed with judgment and taken up by that and horrified by that. The other sense in which visitation is used is a good visitation, a work of salvation perhaps. Maybe that is what is in mind here. By your good works which they shall behold, glorify God, praise him, Find God worthy and praiseable and wonderful and marvelous in the day of their salvation. They'll know it was the testimony of your life and your courtesy and your self-control. What a promise of scripture that is, if that is the correct understanding, and I believe it is. They will glorify God in the day of salvation for them because of your behavior, your bearing, your patience, your reasonableness, your sweet reasonableness in all circumstances. This is such an important passage, dear friends, and it is, I'm sure, a powerful promise of God. It isn't only your testimony, it's your good works. Having your conversation, your toing and froing, 
honest, good, worthy, among the races, the unbelievers, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, well, they do in a major way often. In New Testament times, terrible things were said about believers, and not only in New Testament times. When it first became evident to us, way back in the late 60s, early 70s, that there was persecution of Christians to a very great extent in the old Soviet Union, and it's coming back now, wholesale. But when it first became evident that hundreds of Baptist pastors were in prison, well, the, we began to hear of some of the things that were said. There was one writer who was fluent in Russian and went in and out of Russia and made it his hobby and his business from his student days in Russia to uh, uh, read the local press articles about the trial of sectarians, Christians. And he wrote a marvelous book at the time in the 70s which chronicled the things that were being said in newspapers in the old Soviet Union about Christians. Do you know what Christians did? They even sacrificed their young in some places according to the slanders and according to the press and terrible things were said about them. There was only one great antidote to that, that wherever ordinary people knew Christian worshippers, they just weren't like that. It's not how they held themselves, how they behaved in any way. It was a powerful testimony. And we go right back to the English Reformation and the martyrs. And what turned the tide? Well, the historians tell us that one of the things that turned the tide when so many believers were being martyred in different towns was that the public gradually sickened of this spectacle when they saw the bearing of Christians and those who lost their lives and those who were martyred for the faith. And it turned the attitude of the public at large. What a powerful testimony is our behavior. Having your behavior good and worthy among unbelievers, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, see, give glory to God in the day, let's say, of their salvation. That's the context of verse 13, which is a very practical issue. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves, the modern translations will go for obey. But submit, the old translation is more literal because the Greek says something like this, place yourself under. It's a, a graphic word that pictures the act of obedience required. Place yourself under. Obey is good, as the modern translations would have it, but it doesn't convey the picture. 
place yourself beneath, in rank, in authority, in honour, in position. Place yourself under. Submit yourselves to every ordinance, every regulation. The word translated ordinance could refer either to the authorities themselves or to the rules and regulations and laws that they make. Our translators have chosen the latter, but the word can go either way. Submit yourself to every ordinance, every law of man. Now when we're first saved, this comes as a surprise to us. We're children of God now. We've trusted in Christ. We've believed in his shed blood and his atoning death. We've repented of our sin and yielded our lives to him. By his arm of power, he's reached down to us and saved us and changed us and started a new work in us. We're under his rule and his domain. And when we're young Christians, it comes as a surprise. Submit yourselves to every law of man. Because that's how God rules the world. He rules the world, we learn in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. He rules the word the world through civil authorities. All people are under civil authorities, Christians and unbelievers. So submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Does it mean literally every law they make? Ah, no. Not quite every law, because the scripture makes certain exceptions. We can read about them, time permitting, in due course. Many of them are in the book of Acts. Various exceptions to the laws and demands of man. But the general rule is that the Christian, just like the worldling, is ruled by God through or via civil authorities, with the exception of certain things where he will obey God rather than man. That's the scheme. Some people misunderstand it. And they greatly exaggerate the idea of, is it Christ or Caesar? We're not under Caesar now. We're under Christ. In a great area of life, we can do as we please. That's not so. The scripture is very plain. Believers and unbelievers alike are ruled by God through civil authorities with certain exceptions as far as believers are concerned. What exceptions? Can I make them up for myself? I should imagine this will be an exception, that will be an exception. No, all the exceptions are named in the scripture. We can't make up additional exceptions, only the ones in scripture which we'll come to, time permitted. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, but there are exceptions, for the Lord's sake. 
Those are very powerful words. For the Lord's sake. What do they mean? First of all, because he has commanded us. He commands Christians to obey the civil authorities. Let's turn for a moment to Romans 13. We read it. Look at just the opening verses. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. That's the civil authorities. For there is no power but of God. Now remember that when Peter wrote, and at the end of Paul's life, the power was none other than Nero. The ruling power was a usurping power. It was an aggressive conquering power. Strictly speaking, you may say it had no right to be the ruler. It was not a legitimate ruler, in a sense. Rome, because it ruled by viciousness and violence and force and conquest. And so it gained an illegitimate power over many nations. So we don't have to obey them. Yes, you do, says the inspired word of God. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. When Nero was Caesar, emperor, for there is no power, good or bad, but of God. He lifts up, he puts down the powers. He permits, because that's all man deserves perhaps, the wicked to conquer and to rule. He allows it. There is no power, not even a conquering wicked power, having achieved its ambitions, but of God. It is still ordained of God. The powers that be, Romans 13.1, are ordained of God, established and appointed by him. Even the unworthy ones, even the cruel ones, and the unreasonable ones. Now, this is human reasoning. But you've only got to look at some countries around the world where there is no rule, neither good nor bad, neither benevolent nor despotic, no rule at all, and you see the terrible tragedy and bloodshed and wickedness. The worst rule is infinitely better than no rule. And God has ordained that there shall be order in this wicked world. It is a world where human beings are fallen and they are natural and inevitable rebels. And you'd have anarchy and bloodshed and wickedness all the time, everywhere, if God did not ordain or impose rule, whether good or bad. It's for the glory of God. In what way is it for the glory of God? Because it brings about some form of order and peace in which the gospel may be preached, 
Salvation may be declared. People may be saved. God's purposes may be fulfilled. The elect may be called out and drawn to Christ for the glory of God, for his purposes to be worked out, his purposes of grace, that the world could go on. Because if God did not impose or ordain law and order of some kind, the world would have destroyed itself centuries ago and been unbearable and impossible. So God has put it into the heart of naturally sinful and rebellious man to desire order. Imagine it. By the power of God, man, who is against all authority and any authority, has had it put in his heart to say, we want a government, we want order. Why, in Russia, the population at large is saying, when there's an election drawing near, or they call it an election anyway, we want Putin. Putin's better than nothing. Putin is all we can rely on. Amazing, you say. Yes, but it's because there is in the heart of a rebellious man a desire for law and order. And all authorities are therefore ordained of God, good or bad. And this was what was taught by inspired scripture in the time of Nero, the great enemy of Christians. Verse 2 of Romans 13, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, the civil power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now our King James translators have certainly gone a little too far in translating the Greek damnation. The Greek word is condemnation. Damnation goes a little too far. You as a Christian can suffer some measure of condemnation for being uh, indifferent to obedience to the civil power, God's displeasure. So this is something which summons our attention and our great care for rulers are not a terror and so on. Well, I go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. He's commanded it. He's ordained civil authorities. And it's for his honor and the working out of his purposes, and it's in accordance with his holy example. For the Lord's sake, to please him, to obey him. And then the Apostle Peter, as Paul did, works it out in detail to impress it on our minds. Whether it be to the king as supreme, he's referring there to the emperor in his time, Nero, 
or unto governors, the Roman governors of the regions, as unto them, now we come in verse 14 to some words that have provided for those who do not want to obey the civil authority, a get out. Here it is. As unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Ah, they pounce on that and they say, yes, but we only obey them insofar as their laws accord with the laws of God. Now there's a measure of truth in that. But no, the apostle Peter has said every ordinance of man. That includes the speed limit. That includes all sorts of things that are not in the Ten Commandments or the sin and righteousness lists of the Bible. All kinds of regulations that are for the regulation of society and for the well-being of all. Even public health demands. As long as they're not used as a means of persecuting Christians and restraining the church. In our recent pandemics, if we had been subjected to public health requirements and curtailments that were not imposed equally upon pubs and bars and theatres and cinemas and places of recreation and sport, then we would have immediately concluded that this was the stifling of the gospel, that there was a, a purpose in this, and this was against the Lord and his work. But while it was upon all society equally, whether it was scientifically absolutely correct or not at the time, it was believed to be. And then it's for the public good and it's a legitimate regulation of the authorities. We make an exception if it is unequal. That's understandable. As unto governors, verse 14, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, that includes all the governor's laws, the regulations for the ordering of society and well-being of all people. Unless they are contrary to the law of God. Verse 15, for so is the will of God. And that's the defining thing for us. We are those who seek to obey the will of God. So is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence. The Greek is strong. It's almost saying muzzle the ignorance of foolish men. And we'll always be spoken against and the antidote is to be as courteous and obedient as we can possibly be. I come down to verse 16. This is a very practical thing. If there's any dear friend here, and I'd understand you, who says, I came into this church this morning to hear Christ lifted up. Well, that's our favorite topic. That's our main ministry, I hope. 
but we have to deal with the practical exhortations of Scripture also. And if you wish to hear Christ lifted up, I shall attempt to address the balance this evening when we're looking at some of the wonders and the glories of Christ in the gospel service. Verse 16, as free. Now here's a significant factor added to this exhortation. We are free people. We are free from condemnation. We are free from the dominion of sin, the controlling power of sin. By God's help, we can defeat temptation and sin. We are free from enslavement to this world and its fashions and its ideas and beliefs. We are free from these things. But not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness or unworthiness or evil. We don't say, because I'm a free person, I don't have to obey the laws of the world. You do. Not using these tremendous liberties as an excuse for doing as you wish. You are free, but you must voluntarily, because God requires it, obey the laws of the land. Always as representatives, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, a cover, but as the servants of God, as those who represent him. It is said that many of the Jewish communities in New Testament times that were um, expelled from different places or had been dispersed from Jerusalem and lived in the various pagan countries round about, that many of those Jewish communities were very bad guests in their new countries. Not all, but many were. The intense Jewish nationalism of the time reared its head, and they were always very difficult people in the lands to which they went. And it got them a bad reputation. And the Apostle Peter is saying, in effect, don't be like that. You're different from the world. You're already under suspicion. You don't go along with them to the pubs, to their particular lewd entertainments and all this kind of thing. So they're offended by you and they're against you. And you're, you must counter that by your courtesy and patience and good behavior. You are going to be suspected. We know what the world is like. Wherever people migrate to other countries, they always find it difficult. The host country is always unreasonable in its behavior towards uh, an immigrant minority of people. That's human nature, fallen human nature. And it's so with us. As soon as people realize that Christians are different, they're against us. And it's by our impeccable courtesy and behavior that we surmount that. But then come these great exhortations in verse 17. Honor all men. For honor, 
you may read, if you wish, esteem all men, even the wicked. You don't condone their behavior and their lifestyle. You cannot admire them and love them deeply, but you esteem them. They are still men and women. They are made by God. They're a million times higher than the animals. They have souls. By the grace of God, they are reachable. Esteem them. Respect them. Acknowledge them. Don't be like the uh, pastor and his family that I knew about some years ago who uh, uh, spoke about the neighborhood which, that they were set in, which was very difficult to reach, and had nothing but bad to say about the people. Oh, they ran them down and described them in terrible terms. Honor all men. They're human beings made by God. They are reachable. They are savable. As we were once in that position, take care. Never lose courtesy and good behavior. Honor all men. Love. Now that's a different word. Love the brotherhood and sisterhood, the people of God, the church. Fear God. Always be in awe of him. His eye is upon you. And once again, to underscore it all, honor the king, esteem the king. I've seen some social media blogs particularly, I have to say, from the United States, but we're catching up in this country, where Christian people, even eminent reformed leaders, have been speaking about civil authorities in blood-curdling terms, insulting language, terrible things, personal insults and comments. And these are from some well-known Ministers in the USA so free in their internet comments from some of them who are always saying, in effect, listen to me, I give you the pure word of God. I can be trusted. And yet they speak as though they don't care about disobedience to the clear laws of God. If you wish to talk about politicians, friends, and political leaders, whether it's the party you support or the other party that you don't support, always try to speak responsibly. Keep your worst opinions to yourself. We live in a democracy. We may be critical, but we must always be courteous. You certainly may vote against them. That's your right. You, must say, you may say, I think this is an awful thing that has happened. But don't insult them. Don't call them things that it's wrong to call them. Because we have to esteem and honor civil authority. Some years ago, as a Christian man said to me, he had been very, very convicted. And this was how. 
He was very free with his speaking about the government. This is years ago. It was the other side, I think, then. But he was very free in speaking about the government and expressing his views and running down in the office uh, the prime minister of the day and so on and making, landing on in ordinary conversation his every mistake or perceived mistake. And one day one of his colleagues said to him, he said, you, uh, you do invoicing and things like that. And you make a mistake, and I'm sure you make a number of mistakes, and one customer is affected. That prime minister, I don't like him either, he said, but that prime minister, he makes a mistake, and millions of people get hurt. Millions of people are affected. Have you ever thought of that? One mistake from him, tremendous ramifications. A dozen mistakes from you, only a dozen people in some way inconvenienced or hurt. And he said these words, and this is what cut into him. Isn't there any grace in you? Now that was an unbeliever speaking. And he meant grace in terms of courtesy. But the Christian who was being reproved, grace, he can't see any grace in me, any work of God, any tempering influence, any softening, any kindness. He can't see any courtesy. He can't see any grace in me. And that convicted him very deeply. I wonder if people might be inclined to say that to us. Even some of our little children. There isn't much grace in you, Dad. Real grace, spiritual grace. This is these words. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, always courteous, always kind, for the Lord's sake, good works, how much he's done for us. In suffering and dying on Calvary, what a debt we owe to him. He desires this of us. This is part of our witness. So they're very practical verses, and I leave them with you, dear friends, this morning. Let's close singing together the hymn 608. Hymn number 608, when this passing world is done.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and continue with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>